Go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of John. Now, one of the things that we've been talking about uh, that Stephen often, when uh, not myself, I'm not talking about myself in the third person, but Stephen, when Stephen does the announcements, he often talks about what the theme of John is. And what is the question that the Gospel of John answers? Who is Jesus? We can do better. What's the answer? to what, what does the Gospel of John answer? What question? Who is Jesus? Now, as we're going through this series as a church, and we know that the church is the body of Christ, and so therefore the only people who are part of the body are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and only him for their salvation— then what, could we, what should we assume about Christians? That Christians know the answer to the question, who is Jesus? We would assume that you know the answer to that question. And if we're gathered here as a body, why would we spend time answering a question that everyone who is truly a member of this church, truly a part of the church of Christ, would know the answer to that question? Why would we spend time developing that and spending a whole series going through this? Part of the reason is so that we can expand, can strengthen, can build a firm foundation that we can stand on. That we know we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ But now, as we go through this book, we are learning more and more. We are expanding our knowledge of who is Jesus. I know for my part, as we've gone through these different uh, chapters, as we've heard different people speaking in this book, I have learned more and more about this is my Savior. See, the point of, of a relationship with Christ is not just to not go to hell. It's not just about, okay, well, this is what you receive. It's supposed to be a relationship. Our purpose in life is to glorify God. But you can't glorify God if you don't know who God is. And our glorifying of God is made deeper, is made richer, more vibrant as we continually come closer and closer to our knowledge of who Jesus is. And so for all of us, all of the believers here, the goal for this book is that we would grow in our knowledge of that. There's also, though, the goal for those who are unbelievers in our midst. We have this book to encourage you, to introduce you to this person, the Word who took on flesh. The glory of the only Father given to the only Son and made manifest to us so that now we, no one has seen the Father, but now we can see Him through the Son. We want to introduce others to this. And so we want to deepen our knowledge, but we also want to introduce others. And that is one of the things that John encourages us to do, is that we have a role to share God's word with the world. To take this word, to help others be able to answer the question, who is Jesus? The entire book of John bears witness to that question. It tells us who Jesus 
is. This year we've set a goal in our church, an evangelistic goal, that we would each go, each member of our church, would share the gospel at least one time this year. Now, that's not meant to be a goal where we can just check, I'm done, I did my thing, and you know, that was a cool exercise, but we're done. No, it's, it's meant to motivate us into a lifestyle. Not just one where at the end of the message I say, hey, I want you to share the gospel this week, which is like, oh, what am I going to do? That's important, and I hope that you have opportunities to share the gospel this week. But I'm wanting us to encourage us to look as a lifestyle. How am I sharing the word of God to those who are lost around me? Last week's message that uh, Ted Boykin preached was such a powerful reminder of the role that we as believers have in this world. I know I was challenged and blessed by Ted's message, and I know that many of you, based off of different posts on Facebook that I saw sharing the message and comments there, different text messages that I've had asking if I had had the chance to listen to the message, it was a powerful reminder of our role. Ted's big idea that he shared with us last week was this. Jesus is sending you to share his word with those who need to hear because Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is sending you to share his word with those who need to hear because Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's sending us. He's sending you. He's sending me. We have a mission. The last part of the passage that Ted went through was Jesus talking to his disciples and pointing to the harvest that was around them. This is John 4, uh, starting in verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Jesus has told the disciples, you have a mission Jesus has promised them the fields are white with harvest. What's beautiful even about that passage is that the place Jesus is telling them that is not in Judea. It's not in Galilee. He's in Samaria and he tells them the fields are white with harvest. The time has come. You need to go out and preach the word. And it's not just a job for those disciples, though it's a job For all of us, Jesus is sending you to share his word with those who need to hear because Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, can I, I'm going to be honest here and tell you my difficulty. I have no problem with that statement. I've I've grown up knowing that statement to be true. Yes, that's why we're here. That's the mission. Do you know what my problem is? In doing it. Going out and actually doing the mission. I have so many things that that are a barrier before I can actually go and share God's word. I I build these walls. I'm inadequate. I'm not going to know what to say. I I don't really know anyone. 
What if they say no? What if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? What if, what if, what if? Do you ever feel inadequate for the, the, the jobs that God gives you? Like you just can't do it? The last week has been an exercise, a, a reminder of my own inadequacy over and over and over again. Uh, last week, we, we uh, the pastors and deacons weren't here. We were gone. We were at a retreat. Um, and what we were doing, we were spending time looking and saying, what is God's mission for our church? What should our church look like? Where are we moving forward? But I, I'll be totally honest. The day before, I didn't get an ulcer, but I was close. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm 30 years old. Every single one of these men is older than me. I'm going to go do this. And I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to share with them. I don't know the answer to these questions. If I went and it was easy, and I'd be like, all right, guys, this is what it is, and I could just teach it, that'd be fine. But, but I didn't know. But I was so encouraged when I went and visited Gretchen Carter. And Gretchen, right before we went, she's, uh, actually it was a phone call, and she said, hey, I know you know this, but I just want to encourage you on this. I want you... Every session, every time that before you guys start something and, and start talking about something, I want you to just to remind you to start with prayer. Start by going to God. And second, when you're looking for answers, look in God's word. Don't come up with your own ideas of what the church should be and then go to God's word. Start with God's word. And the deacons can attest to this. We did that every single session. And sometimes we would start and someone would say, oh, wait, don't forget what Gretchen told us to do. And we would stop and we would go to that prayer. And do you know what happened? God answered his prayer, our prayers. God gave us what we needed. We looked to God's word and we were given the answers we needed. But for my own part, going in, I felt so inadequate. Because I was. But Christ's word was not. The same thing in this week, just this week has been going nonstop and everything keeps on happening. And every time I would have a moment to stop and study the passage this week, something would come in and, and disrupt that. And again, uh, last night I went to bed, I had to call Billy and, and, and again, uh, seeking counsel from the body of Christ and seeking counsel from a fellow elder. And I, I, I called Billy and I literally told him, like, Billy, I need you to be an elder to me right now. I, I need you to elder me because I'm, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm nervous. And again... That reminder, that faithfulness, the need to go to God's word. Friends, brothers, sisters, we are going to feel inadequate for the task. Ted challenged us last week to an immense and glorious mission. But we're going to look at that and we're going to feel inadequate. Rightly so. You can't do all of this. This is beyond your skill. In fact, if you look at this and say, easy, I've got this. I can do this. There's a problem. But in that place of humility, in that place of inadequacy, to go to God's word, to go to him and say, God, what would you have me do? This morning, what we're going to do is really just do a continuation of last week's message. We've already looked at Ted's big idea, and, but we can feel inadequate in doing that. We don't know. Do we have enough? Has God given me what I need to do the task? And the answer is that God has. Our big idea this morning 
is that God's word is enough to transform anyone who receives it by faith. Yes, we are being sent out. Jesus is sending you to share his word with those who need to hear because Jesus is the savior of the world. But listen to that. Jesus is the savior of the world, not you. When we looked at John the Baptist, one of the things that we looked and admired about John the Baptist is John is so quick to point out that he is not the Savior and equally quick to point to who the Savior is. Jesus is the Savior of the world. But Jesus gives us what we need when he sends us for this mission in that he gives us his word. We're going to review a little bit. We're going to go back and look and see the power of God's word throughout chapter 4. Some of it's going to be review, and then a little bit will be moving forward. But here's here's what I want you to think about. How did chapter 4 open up? What is the story that John chapter 4 begins with? The woman at the well. Now, this story begins, and Ted shared it, and if you didn't have a chance to look at this, hear, hear his message, I, I encourage you to go back, listen to it. But this woman at the well, all of the beginning of this story is things that you just wouldn't expect. Jesus first is in Samaria. We wouldn't expect Jesus to be in Samaria. Then Jesus goes to the well, and he's speaking to a woman during the middle of the day. We wouldn't expect her to be in the middle of the day. That's not when you go to get water in the heat of the day. And yet, then Jesus talks to him, a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. All of these things seem off. We understand why, though Jesus was there, because Jesus needed to be there. And we see why the woman was there, because she was an outcast in her village, in her town. We don't know her whole story. We don't know why all the things happened to her. Some of them could have been her own doing, maybe though it was other people's fault. The reality, though, is the reason she's there in the middle of the day is that she has been put aside. But her life is about to be transformed. Jesus goes to the woman and he reveals her need. He tells her, you need living water. Jesus says, I can give you that living water. Jesus reveals to her her identity. He says, I know who you are. I know your history. She's going to go on to say, he told me everything that I ever was. He told me who I was. But Jesus also then reveals his identity. Look at John 4. Let's look at verses 25 and 26 of John chapter 4. John 4, 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Now remember, what has she already said about Jesus? He told me everything. He told me all that I was. And then, he sa- and then look what Jesus says in verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus revealed his identity. Now, how did he do this? How did Jesus reveal all of these things to her? Was it through a miracle? Was it through all of this, these miraculous signs? No. It was his word. 
Now, we could say that there is an element of a miracle here in that Jesus knew all of these things about her. But is that miracle so different than the miracle that each of us have seen? Jesus knows who each and every one of us is. The word of God reveals to us who we are and what we need. When we go to the word of God, the word of God shows us that we are separated from God, that we are in darkness, that we, because of sin, deserve death, that we are under God's wrath. Condemnation remains on those who do not receive Christ. That's our position. That's our reality. That's our need. Just like the woman at the well, the word of God reveals to us our need. But the word of God also reveals to us the identity of Christ. It reveals to us what our true need is. That Jesus came, he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, he rose again. He did what was necessary. He shows himself to be the solution. When we look at the story of this incredible transformation in this woman's life, what we see being active there is the word of God. So then John, Jesus tells his disciples they're supposed to do this task that we all are meant to do. Again, we feel inadequate. But look at the power of God's word. Because we could say, well, yeah, I mean, of course that happened for Jesus. When Jesus talks, we're going to expect power in his words. When Jesus says something to the woman at, at the well, we would expect power to happen. But what about me? How, how does that work for me? Let's look at verse 39 of our passage today and see the power of God's word. Look what it says. Many Samaritans... From that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Look at what happens. This woman goes and tells the Samaritans, and many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why did they believe? Was it because of the woman's position of power? Maybe she was the mayor of this town. She was a person of influence. No. She went in the middle of the day. She went at a time where she could avoid everyone else, avoid the stares, avoid the judgment, avoid the condemnation. Was it because of her glowing reputation? No. Whether it was her fault or not, all of those things had happened. No, it wasn't because of that. It wasn't because they're like, well, we can always trust the woman at the well to tell us the truth. They're like, that's, that's, prob- that's why we're going to believe this. No. Was it because of a lifetime lived as a testimony to God? It, so, so that she said, well, she never used words, but she told us the gospel with her life. There were never words, but, but she lived it out, and therefore we believed in Christ. No. What was the thing that the woman at the well did. And remember, the time is here. 
This happened immediately after. She left Jesus. She goes into the town. And in the space of one conversation that Jesus has with his, his disciples, all of this happens. Where is the power in what she's done? She shared the word of God. She told others what Jesus had told to her. That is such an encouraging thing. How often are we going to go and we see the things that God has asked us to do and we just feel like we can't do that? But look at what God does. God used the seal of approval, the stamp of approval of a woman who no one valued her stamp of approval. No one valued what she said. And yet God used her to bring many to him. That is a profound truth for each and every one of us. When we have this goal that Jesus is sending you to share his word with those who need to hear because Jesus is the savior of the world, he gives you what you need to accomplish that mission. He gives you his word. That's what we have. Think back to the study that we did in Jonah. Jonah's words, no one would look, yet 40 days and you shall be destroyed. No one would look at those words and say, that is a powerful evangelistic message. That's the secret. No, what was the power in Jonah's words? God's words. God had told him to speak them. That's where the power was found. So look at what then happens. That we see that God's word is enough to transform anyone who receives it by faith. First, we see that in the testimony of the woman at the well. But then we see that in the Samaritans. They received God's word. They believed in him. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. But look what happens. And many more believed because of his word. In the Gospel of John, we're going to see all of these miracles. All of these signs that Jesus does. And yet over and over again, even in the, later in our passage, we are going to see that people refuse to receive those things, to see what those are. Why? Because they're not receiving God's word. Jesus tells them what those signs are. Jesus tells them what they're pointing to, except they, but they fight against them. But again, look at the power of what happened. Many more believed because of his word. And that's the same word that we are given. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They came to belief because they heard the testimony, but then because of her testimony, they encountered Christ. That's the role that we have. We share God's word. We tell people God's word so that then they can come to God's word and encounter Christ. That's what people need. They need to know Jesus. And it is in his word that they meet him. The application here for us is to trust 
God's word and do your job. Those disciples, they might have been really scared about going out. They might, they've already seen some people who haven't fully accepted Jesus' message. And what's going to happen soon, starting in chapter 5, is we're going to see so much confrontation. People who will not receive the message. And we look at that and we say, well, if people aren't even going to receive Jesus' testimony, what am I going to do? But remember what Jesus has promised. The fields are white with harvest. The harvest is there. God used the Samaritan woman. God can use you. It's not in your own power. It's not so that you can boast. It's because of the power of his word. God's word is powerful. That is how this happens. But God's word is also necessary. See, a lot of times we think, well, you know what? God's powerful. He can just do it. Like he can, he can just make people come to him and, and, and that's going to be enough. Does God, God call people to himself? Yes. Does God, is God the one that calls people? Is God the one who gives us new life because of the spirit that causes us to be born again so that we can see? Yes. But God also chose that the means through which he would save people would be through, through his word, through the sharing of his word. And he gives that role to us. That is our mission to do that. So we need to take out, out his word. God's word is necessary. Because now John shares the example of those who refuse God's word. They have great things. They have signs and wonders and miracles, and yet they do not receive God's word, and therefore they do not believe. Look what it says in verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. Now, this is just continuing the story. Remember the, the Samaritans had asked Jesus to stay for two days, and he stayed, the two, stayed for some time. He said he would stay for two days. Now he's leaving. It's after those two days. And he's continuing to Galilee because back in verse 3 of chapter 4, he told us that's where he was going, that he was going to Galilee. And so now he's continuing that mission. But the reason it gives us for doing that seems odd to us. If you look at verse 44, there's a, a footnote from the author John that seems out of place. It says, for, so the reason he's departing to Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his home, own hometown. Now, that would make a lot more sense to us if Jesus was leaving Galilee. We already know in, in uh, the Gospel of John, back when Jesus was talking to uh, Nathaniel, that, that Jesus' hometown is Nazareth. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And yet, Jesus isn't leaving Nazareth right now. He's going to Nazareth. Why would someone say that the reason he's leaving a place where they just honored him as God, where they called him the Savior of the world, and he says, you know what, guys? I've got to go because the next place isn't going to honor me. It doesn't seem to make sense. Why is Jesus doing that? And in fact, the next sentence makes it even more complicated because it says he gets there and the Galileans welcomed him. What's going on in these verses? 
One of the beautiful things is that Jesus does not go to where it's comfortable. Think about Jesus' entire story. Think of his birth. Think of all the things that he did. Think of where he left. He left heaven to come to darkness. Why did Jesus do that? Why would Jesus leave Samaria, the first place that there is widespread acceptance of him? Why would Jesus leave those places to go to a place where they would not honor him? Because it wasn't a surprise to Jesus. And Jesus knew his mission. Think back to John 1.11, that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came to proclaim the truth. Jesus came to give sight, to give life to the dead. But he didn't just come to proclaim that eternal life. He came to give the means of eternal life. And what was the only way for us to receive that eternal life? Through his death. Jesus needed to go to places where they would not honor him, even to the point where they would kill him on a cross. Because that was the mission. Jesus was all the way committed to his mission so that he would leave the places of comfort, first from heaven to earth, but even on earth, he left the places of comfort of Samaria to go to the places where they would not honor him. And even though it says that the Galileans welcomed him, they did not honor him. To honor someone is to acknowledge their position and treat them accordingly. When who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. To honor Jesus is to treat him as God. It's what the Samaritans did. The Samaritans treated him as the Savior of the world. How are the Galileans treating him? They're treating him as a side attraction. The local circus. The person who does these different signs and wonders. Hey, Jesus, do do another trick for us. Do, do, Do something else for us to see. They welcomed him, but they did not honor him. If they had truly welcomed him, they would not welcome him in that sense. They would glorify him. They would see who Jesus is, and they would treat him as Jesus. But John tells us the reason that they're there. It's because they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. But they are not glorifying him as the Son of God. Let's continue. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, which is about 20 miles away... There was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So this guy, this official, who's from out of town, he hears that Jesus is there. 
He hasn't heard about what Jesus did at Cana. That was a private sign. But he has heard about what Jesus has been doing in, in Jerusalem. All of these people are following him. John doesn't tell us the signs that Jesus did in Jerusalem. But we do know that many people are believing in some way. Even Nicodemus ha- came to Jesus because of that. No one can do the things that you have done. No one can do the signs you have done unless God is with him. But again, Nicodemus doesn't see Jesus for who Jesus is. He doesn't honor Jesus as God. He honors Jesus as something less, which is not truly honoring him. But this this man is coming, and this man has a problem. It is the problem that if you are a parent, is one of the worst things that you can imagine. Your child is near death. This man is is desperate. Throughout this passage, we're going to see this isn't just some little illness. His son, if Jesus does not do something, if a miracle does not happen, his son is going to die. And so he comes to Jesus. But Jesus says something that is very strange to us. It's strange in the same way like when we were back in chapter 2, verses 23 through the end of the chapter, when there were many who believed in his name, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. It's something that is jarring to us. It doesn't make sense when we look at it. Look what Jesus says in verse 48. He just came. This official asked him, please come. My baby boy, he's dying. Please come with me. And Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Doesn't that seem a little harsh? This guy is desperate. And Jesus is going to say, man, you guys are always asking for more. You want more signs. You want to do all these things. It's hard for us to understand and see, wait, Jesus, what's going on here? He's already come to you. This is a good thing. What's going on here? The reality is that Jesus' statement here serves two purposes. The first purpose is in saying something directly to this official. The second purpose, though, is broader to the people of Galilee, to the Jews who are there. We're going to go take those one at a time. The first thing is that Jesus is is gently rebuking the official. Now, we look at that and we say, I'm not really sure what warrants being rebuked here. Like, what's going on? He's come here. But Jesus is saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What is true about this man that the rest of the passage is going to show us? This man as much as he has come to Jesus, does not yet believe in Jesus. He's asking Jesus to do things, but he does not believe in Jesus. Friends, this happens all the time. One of the reasons that I came to Christ was when I was a child, I, was, I would every night, one of the things that I would do, is I had a memorized prayer. I can't remember it right now. But it was something like, uh, Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this, uh, this night. Uh, Lord, please help me to have a good night and ha- sleep well and to not have any bad dreams. The problem was, I didn't believe in Jesus yet. I'm making these requests. Hey, Jesus, take care of these things. Take care of these problems. I- I'm trusting in you enough to do some of these things. But I'm not going to put my faith in you 
yet. We know that this man does not believe yet because the result of what's going to happen later in this passage is he's going to come to belief. Well, if he comes to belief later, the logical understanding then is that he's not there yet. This man is coming and asking for something that is an important need. Jesus recognizes it's an important need. In fact, Jesus is going to resolve the need. But the man is not yet willing to see his true need. He's saying, Jesus, can you fix these other things that I see? But I'm not yet quite at the point where I'm going to trust in you as my Savior. Let's, let's hold off on that. So Jesus rebukes him. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What is the man not believing? He already should know who Jesus is. If he's come to the point of traveling and leaving his dying son, if he's at that point to go and find this man, and it's not like nowadays where you can put in your GPS, you can call someone, hey, uh, where's Jesus right now? Okay, all right, I'll meet you there. There's a good chance he'll miss Jesus. He doesn't know if he's going to be able to encounter Jesus, but he goes to him. He finds Jesus. Based off all of that, what should he already know enough of? Enough to believe Jesus. But he hasn't yet, and so, uh, so Jesus rebukes him. The second rebuke, though, is for all of those who are there as well. Uh, many of you, if you have a footnote in your Bible when it says, unless you see signs, or if you have a different translation, it might say, unless you people see signs, both of the you words in this statement are not singular. They're plural. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus is rebuking the Galileans, the people from his hometown who refuse to believe. Because what do we already know back from verse 45? Why are they following him? Why are they welcoming him? Because they had seen all that he had done. They had already seen the signs, and yet they refused to believe. John, if you have your Bible, turn, turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Looking at, the, at verse um, 37. John 12, 37. This was the problem. This is the problem that Jesus is exposing in the Galileans who are around him. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. They wouldn't see the signs. The signs were right there in front of them. They'd already seen them. But why couldn't they understand the signs they were seeing? Because they would not receive God's word. This is going to be the story throughout the rest of the book of John. The Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, are seeing the signs. And do you know what they determined from that? We've got to kill him. How could they see those signs and come to the conclusion that they need to kill him where other people are seeing the signs and come to the conclusion that they need to worship him? 
The difference is, 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 do you believe his word? His word explains to us what these signs mean. Signs do not save. Signs give evidence. Signs confirm what the word says. The word is what we need. The signs we are given confirm the truth of that word. But these, these, gent, these uh, Galileans are looking, just, just do us something more. Give us another sign. But the reality is the signs would never be enough for them because they would not trust his word. But the official is different. The official is going to come to believe. And the difference is because he trusts his word. Look at what happens in verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He doesn't even really acknowledge what Jesus says. He says, No, Jesus, I need you to come with me. I need to see what you're going to do. I need to see you heal my son. And Jesus is going to do something, though. He is going to make this man come to a decision. He is going to call him to action. He's going to call him to trust his word. Look what he says. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Has the man seen a sign? Has the official seen his son healed? No. And yet, what is Jesus telling him to do? Go, leave me, trust my word. Believe what I'm telling you. Jesus is calling this man to come to a point where he believes his word so that he can see the sign of what Jesus is doing. And look what happens. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. The man received the word of God. God's word is enough to transform anyone who receives it by faith. This man receives God's word by faith. Has he seen anything that would change his mind? Has he seen a sign? Did Jesus say, hey, let me show you a few miracles to show that I really have power. Okay, I can do this. Now you can leave and remember what you saw here. Now you can trust it. No, he says, You're going to have to believe. You're going to have to believe my word. Go. And so the man does. And it's a big faith. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Some translations say that the word here for recovering is living. Three times Jesus' words are going to say he's alive. He's going to live. His son was recovering, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Do you know what the beauty of this sign is for us? God is telling us, go out and share the word. Share the life-giving word. And what do we see in God's word right here? That Christ's word gives life. This boy was dying. He was as good as dead. The condition was desperate. What brought life to that boy? The words of Jesus. 
that man, that official, was dead. He was dead in his trespasses and sins. He was separated from God. He was under wrath. What brought life to that man? God's word. The Samaritans were lost. They were looking. They did not know where the Savior was. What brought life to them? God's word. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, who is rich in mercy, God offers something. How did you learn? How did you receive the words of life? God's word. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. This was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Here's the application that I want to give us. First, I want to speak to those of you who are here as believers, that you have already received the words of life. Ted shared with us last week, we have a mission. We have something that we are called to do. And we can look at that and say, I can't do that. I don't have enough. I can't do this, this job. It's too big for me. It is. But it's not too big for God's word. Share his word. Follow the example of the Samaritan woman. All she did was tell people what Jesus had done for her, and it transformed lives. God's word is enough to transform anyone's life who receives his word by faith. Share his word. Don't let there be barriers that say, I I need to know more. I need to do those things. Obviously, we want to learn more. Spend time in God's word. Study it. Always be prepared to give an answer for those who ask you for the hope that is within you. We need those things. But understand, you have enough to share with others what they need. You have his word. Don't neglect to do your duty because you're thinking, well, when I have more. That's what the Jews were saying. Well, we'll believe him when we see another sign. They never did. Understand his word. If you're an unbeliever, though, here this morning, don't always think, I, I need just a little bit more proof. You know what? If I, if I see something bigger, you have the words of life. Jesus is calling you to a decision. He's saying, just like he did to the official, where he says, believe my word. If you are truly going to see the words that give life, then you need to believe what I'm telling you. Friend, if you're here and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, don't keep putting roadblocks. You're never going to get to the point where those roadblocks are removed if you are not willing to believe the word of God. The final application, though, for us is is in these moments of crisis. This man's son was dying. He was in a moment where he did not know what to do, and yet Jesus' words were enough. I'm not saying that Jesus is always going to do something miraculous and give life to your dying child like he does to the official. But I am saying that the same power of Jesus' words are here in the Scripture, and that the answer you need is here as well. 
Jesus is sending you to share his word with those who need to hear because Jesus is the savior of the world. Don't neglect to do that task because you don't think you have enough. Because Jesus' word was enough. Jesus' word is enough to transform anyone who receives it by faith.